0: Welcome to the year end series of Let the Right Films In, a movie podcast hosted by me, Tyler Hannon, and my co host, Kayla Sainach. Hello. Kayla, we are here in this annual tradition that started somehow at some point in the past. The fourth annual Let the Right Films In year end series, in which we just get a bunch of friends and people we admire to talk about. Movies that they like this year.
1: Yeah, this started as a way for us to kind of let out some steam and not talk about IMDb 250 movies. But as you may recall, we don't have any rules anymore. So now it's just a fun thing that we do because we love it.
0: Yes. The one rule is that I make a guest list that is too long, invite half of it, and it's still too many people for (laughs) my workload. But we've come to the end. Here at the beginning, because this is the last one we're recording.
1: Uh, Tyler has just let you see behind the curtain and understand that we are recording our segments last. Well,
0: uh, That was going to be cut out, but no, we're the last (laughs) ones. I was so focused on other people that we did not record our segments.
1: Yeah, this is good, though, because now I think that we're getting a little bit more content we really, really think are the best movies. Because I know for a fact that last year, my top three movies were really wonky because guests had already chosen all of the ones I wanted to talk about. So (laughs) I think I'm getting a little bit more of like a purer top three on the record this year. So every year, the way that we do this is Tyler and I pick a top three and we kind of just intersperse them across the episodes. So every episode that you listen to in this series will start with Tyler and I talking about movies, and then we will move into the guests. So without further ado, Tyler, would you like to tell me about one of your favorite movies this year?
0: Uh, you know, I mean, really, this one could take the top three spot all by itself. It is the most movie, movie to ever movie. That is a my technical definitive review. It's Mission Impossible Fallout.
2: Your mission. Should you choose to accept it? I wonder, did you ever choose not to?
0: You had a terrible choice to make in Berlin. One life over millions. And now the world is at risk. This is the CIA's mission. If he had held on to the plutonium, we wouldn't be having this conversation. His team would be dead. Yes, they would. That's the job. So Mission Impossible Fallout. uh, You might have heard of it. You might have seen Tom Cruise being super extra about it everywhere for all time. Uh, It is the sixth movie in the Mission Impossible franchise. Just one of our greatest cinematic treasures. That series. It's just so good. Sometimes so bad, but mostly so good in the past few years. And they somehow topped everything they'd done in the last few.
1: You might have tried to see it with MoviePass and been woefully (laughs) thwarted. And then MoviePass died, I think specifically because of this.
0: Yes, it died just (laughs) in time for me to not see this 10 times in theaters. I took it very personally. And I'll never forgive it.
1: Um, I would normally tell you guys that I've never seen one of these movies, but Ben rented this not that long ago, so I did see the second half of this movie. Who? I- ben <laughs> saw this? <laughs> he just watched it, like, not that long ago.
0: Ah! He didn't tell me. But, yes. So, Mission Impossible Fallout. Uh, it is the sixth movie in the series. Christopher McQuarrie is the first director to return to the series, and... Boy, does he return with? Uh, I think the uh, cool kids call it a plum. This was such an incredible theatrical experience, and I hope you have a big screen and like surround sound to watch it at. Uh, watch it at home with, because it is one of the most impressive feats of movie making I've ever seen. It is a wire to wire thriller made by uh, action junkie maniacs with no regard for their own lives.
1: Yeah, Tom Cruise <laughs> doesn't give a shit. I'm pretty sure he is literally in a body cast by the end of filming this. But uh, Yeah, he broke
0: his ankle. The part where he breaks his ankle is in the movie. Is it really? Uh, yes. Uh, th- there's this epic running scene because it's Tom Cruise. So there's a running scene mm-hmm. and it's super impressive. And they're like, yeah, his actual ankle was actually still broken. He just kept going. What? This movie is so good that I listened to like an eight hour commentary like series with Christopher McQuarrie on the Empire podcast. I love everything about it, Uh, even my problematic fave, Scientologist number one, Tom Cruise. Uh,
1: I like to think that these movies are a good release for him. My literal theory is that he can only feel things while doing insane stunts because Scientology has robbed him of all soul. So I feel like a Tom Cruise that's doing a Mission Impossible movie is a happy Tom Cruise and a less Scientologist Tom
0: Cruise. He wants to entertain the people, and he uh, really puts... The money where his mouth is. A big hallmark of the Mission Impossible franchise is that every movie has a big stunt that is mind-blowing. This movie has five of them just strung throughout the movie. And you just sit there thinking, I cannot believe they did that or how they did that. There is a plane jump that is like cut together to look like a three-minute complete take. And the way they film it, Tom Cruise jumps out. We're facing him as he jumps out. So a guy with a cam mounted on his body had to jump out of the plane at exactly the right time of day and film Tom Cruise as they both dove through the sky. And that's like the second set piece an hour, not even an hour into the movie. And it's just full of those. Uh, there's like not even a minute that lags. Uh, it has some tremendous performances even though there's not much time for character in between all the oh my god adrenaline is going to just burst out of my body uh rebecca ferguson is a star Uh, i i want her to get her own series of movies but man adding her to this series has helped give it new life in addition to like the directors who are working on it uh henry cavill and his arms Ah. and his chin and his mustache show up (laughs) and uh Apologies to DC fans, but it was worth it to keep the mustache. The
1: mustache heard around the world, yes. Oh,
0: dude, he, <laughs> is, he is terrifying in this movie. Uh, and he's just a great foil for Tom Cruise. It's like a super... It's like Into the Spider-Verse when you have tiny Miles Morales versus Kingpin, who like this hulking behemoth. You're just... Like, How? Tom it, Cruise
1: isn't that tiny. I just feel like he might sue us if we don't like throw
0: okay. that in there. So <laughs> Henry Cavill looks like if Tom Cruise punched him... His hand, like, Cruz's hand would break. He's stunning. And then, you know, you have all the ret- other returning cast. But, yeah, it's just tremendous score, uh, unbelievable filmmaking, uh, one of the greatest theater experiences I've had. Uh, they somehow topped themselves, and I don't know how they're ever going to do this again, but it looks like they're going to try. Obviously, Tom Cruise being problematic. The dynamic between him and director Christopher Macquarie is kind of stunning, where Tom Cruise is like, yeah, go T, we can do this. McCory's just like, oh my god, oh my god, I can't believe we're doing that. It's, it's just, it's fascinating. Uh, McCory's super freaking talented, and I love this movie. Uh, any
1: questions? Um... How beautiful is Henry Cavill? He was- <laughs> I'm debating going back and just watching the entire movie specifically because I would I like would... to see Henry Cavill punch some stuff. These, this is like a really weird series. Oh, you missed the Henry Cavill battle yeah, fight I missed, scene. Yeah, I missed all of it. I missed up until they were, like, diffusing the bomb at yeah, the I end. You didn't even
0: see him, like, cock his arms. No,
1: I mean, I've seen the gif. But um, so this movie series is so weird. My dad is a huge fan of this. My dad is a huge Tom Cruise fan. I think I mentioned this on the podcast every single time that Tom He's Cruise short. comes yep. up. He's short. Um, but so it's weirdly present in my life, and yet I have never seen any of them. And I have always kind of written them off. But the more I get into one, uh, Tyler's glowing reviews of them – my um, fave Blank Check Boys giving glowing reviews of them. The and movies. Other film people I like giving glowing reviews. I'm like, fuck, I'm going to have to watch every Mission Impossible movie somehow.
0: And the nice thing about Mission Impossible, <laughs> this one brings some stuff back in, but it's not important enough that you actually need to see any Mission mm-hmm. Impossible to really enjoy it because it's all about... Oh, the-
1: they also did like helpful flashbacks in the movie <laughs> for uh, the part that I saw. So I wasn't confused of the second half of the very last movie at all.
0: Right. So, so like, sure, they... <laughs> All tie in together technically, but really you could kind of just jump in at any point and have a good time, ben even is, with the John Woo one.
1: Ben is not here, but if I, if I I think he may have somehow through the force heard me say, I have to watch all the Mission Impossible movies and is hype somewhere excited about this because these are exactly the kind of movies that he loves. So I don't know, maybe next year we can do like a retrospective where it's me being like, alright alright it's a movie and Tyler's like yeah in the background so
0: that's basically yeah. what happened when you watched The Good Place right? <laughs> so uh, I am done raving about Mission Impossible on the mic I'll continue for 20 minutes afterwards Kayla's <laughs> not leaving <laughs>
1: is going to be way dialed down from where you were just at for that, but it matches the movie. I talked about it a little bit on an episode before, but my first pick of the year is Bo Burnham's directorial debut, 8th grade.
3: Hey guys, uh, it's Kayla back with another video. So, the topic of today's video is being yourself. Being yourself can be hard, and it's like, aren't I always being myself? And yeah, for sure. But being yourself is, like, not changing yourself to impress someone else. A lot of people, like, call me quiet or shy or whatever. But I'm not quiet. Most quiet,
4: Kayla Day.
3: I don't talk a lot at school, but if people talk to me and stuff, they'd find out that I'm, like, really funny and cool and talkative. By the way, I like your shirt a lot. It's, like, so cool. What?
2: I said one more week of eighth grade, right? Yeah. That's crazy.
3: Yeah, huh.
0: I've tragically not seen this, but from my own life and from what I understand, uh, being in eighth grade kind of feels like jumping out of an airplane.
1: uh, Yeah, you know what, actually, I just realized I was completely wrong. This movie is exactly as stressful as a Mission Impossible movie, probably. Instead (laughs) of
0: constant bodily peril, your brain is just always... Like I don't know. Some Tell, me about, Tell so, me about
1: the yeah. movie. So, yeah. So this is a movie that I was really excited to see. And it, even on top of being excited to see it, still kind of took me by surprise. Because it's a movie about a teenage girl, obviously, in eighth grade. And it's just a time capsule of her life. It's not a nostalgia piece. It's very much about a girl in this day and age going through this pivotal time in life. But at the same time, it made me have a lot of feelings because, one, her name is literally Kayla, so I was personally attacked on that level, and it felt a lot like being in eighth grade. I'm, in fact, a little concerned that Bo Burnham knows so well what it is like to be an eighth grade girl, but it works. It's just the absolute anxiety of being that age and... Trying to fit in and trying to, I don't know, just make your way in the world. It just encapsulates that so well because when you're in eighth grade as a girl, you are at this really weird place where you feel much more grown up than a lot of people around you, mostly because eighth grade boys are garbage farts (laughs) and eighth grade girls are beautiful souls who have already done a lot of self introspection and felt a lot of, um, fear and paranoia about their parents and their hobbies and whatever. Kayla of the film in particular is a girl who is very much trying to present a strong and confident image to the world. She is filming a YouTube series constantly where she's giving makeup tips and life advice. And usually these scenes are immediately interspersed with scenes of her completely failing, not taking her own advice and kind of falling on her face a little bit. And there are just so many scenes in this movie where I saw myself and where, I don't know, I was laughing just as much as I was crying. I think within the first minute of the film, I had cried and laughed once already. And I don't know. And I think that we get to go on this journey with her where she's finding herself and figuring out that okay, you're not super, like, Snapchat hot or whatever, and maybe you're not getting a million YouTube views, but there is value in what you're doing and value in the person that you're becoming, even if you're embarrassed by how you used to act. And another thing that I really like about this movie, on top of all of, like, the the mental aspects of it, is that it's never condescending towards the teenagers it's not about how social media is ruining their lives it's not about how social media is poisoning a generation it's not even about like how technology is bad like we kind of have these scenes that are funny to me where she's at the dinner table with her headphones on and kind of ignoring her dad and it would be so easy to write a scene like that and have it be about how it's shitty and how I don't know like her life is developing wrong clearly and like he's not a good like a That he's not a good dad. But they have this like very good understanding of each other. And I think that as the film goes on, she even comes to more accept her dad and understand his motives when he's trying to talk to her and drag her into what she thinks are embarrassing things. And for a movie written by adults – in an age where adults are very much trying to lash out and criticize every generation younger than them. It's amazing to see that kind of non-judgmental. just this is what it is. They're using Snapchat. They're using Instagram. Enya's Come Sail Away plays over her going through Instagram over and over again. And it's, it's just such a special movie. I don't know. We were super privileged to be able to see it when it debuted at the Cinetopia Film Fest. And, Um, I talked a little bit about the Q&A that Bo did afterwards on our Hereditary episode, I believe. I think so, yeah. And um, I won't rehash it here because it's available to you. But you can go back and listen to that. Uh, He provided a lot of great insight on the writing and on the process of making the film. But yeah, I think that while primarily this will resonate with people who were once teenage girls, it is good for everyone to see just because I think that the more empathy we have – for young people, the better that we will be going into not just this new year, but, you know, the rest of the world's life. And, yeah, I don't know. That's pretty much all I have to say about that. Do you have any questions? That was lovely. <laughs> We're going to do a and a section after <laughs> every movie, apparently.
0: Uh, no, that was lovely. Yeah. I uh, It's one of those movies where I wanted to see it super badly. And then what happens when I really want to see a movie is I either see it right away or... Or if I don't make it in the first week, I'm like, oh, I have to have the perfect viewing experience for this Mm -hmm. thing I'm very excited for. And then three years pass and I go, God, I never watched that movie. This is
1: a perfect segue for me to talk really quickly about how I am so sad. I can't say that 2016's The Handmaiden is my movie of 2018 because that is exactly what happened when that came out was that I was waiting for a perfect viewing experience. And it turned out that the perfect viewing experience was two years after release, on my couch while having a foot bath and decompressing from work stress. It was amazing. Yeah, I'm sure it was. But I will say that you should probably just watch the movies that you want to watch and not wait for it to be the perfect time. Shockingly. I think I have like 50,000 movies on that list of waiting for perfect viewing experience, and it's just never going to happen. And like,
0: either you're going to like – once in every 100 times that happens, it might actually matter. But I think most of the time, you're either just like, oh, you're going to be disappointed with the movie after all, which is what happened yesterday. I don't want to say the movie because it's a positive thing. <laughs> or you'll end up loving it as much as you would have, anyways, if you just watched it when you had a free few hours. Like
1: with what I just did. Right. <laughs> so, yeah.
0: I guess one last comment is that I mean, we touched on it a bit, but like one thing I've definitely seen is that people being shocked that Bo Burnham was able to make this not just because of the subject matter and the fact that he's like uh, my age, actually, like he's a like a straight 28 year old dude, uh, but also because a lot of people saw him as like a like a. Punny, not maybe hacky, like YouTube or Vine comedian. And I just find that so fascinating because I remember us talking on that episode, on the Hereditary episode, about how oh, we actually weren't, if anyone was going to do that, we weren't surprised it was him because he's actually shown a tremendous amount of empathy
1: mm-hmm.
0: underneath all those layers.
1: I think that oh, Bo Burnham sorry. is a great example of what stand up comedy can do right. But I think that because of that also, he recognizes the toxicity of that scene and appears to be moving away from it. And honestly, if this is the kind of stuff we're going to get, I am on board. Number one Stan. All about it.
0: And one of the things I was looking I quickly Googled something here, and what I was looking up, uh, especially when you talked about uh, the kid and her father, was if he was an only child, because I would have been even more stunned if he was an only kid, but he's the youngest of three. And knowing my own sister, my youngest sister, uh, I guess that kind of made sense to me because you do end up having like watching the other people. I guess I'm speculating at this point, but it made a lot of sense to me that he has a a number of siblings. When you talk about how he's able to capture like the way you can be in the same room, even if you're totally disengaged from each other. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't know. There's still like a beautiful togetherness to that. Art usually portrays it as like, oh, they're in the same room, but they're in totally different worlds. Yeah, which is like –
1: it's so lazy. It's just not how we do – it's just not how we interact as people anymore. And I think that there is value sometimes in just being physically presently there. Right. As opposed to necessarily having like a life-changing conversation every time you're in the same room as someone. Right. And I think that being able to understand that and being able to put that kind of understanding of the way that people interact now into a film is – such a better service to us than the millionth Hurt technology bad people separate now, like take <sighs> in film.
0: I'm so excited to finally get around to watching this movie in 2025.
1: <laughs> As always, our website is ltrfi.com. You can find us on Twitter at ltrfipod. That's also our username at most things. And if you have a lot to say, you can email us at ltrfipod at gmail.com.
0: Let's move on to one of our guests. We have no idea which. Because
2: <laughs> we're recording last. Here's the music cue. For, For you, all want from For me y'all don't want money. I don't want from me. y'all want to die in the chasing things. Yeah. We all going to die and break the thing. Trapped inside a burning church. Made it out alive. Got no more worth. Raw face, God face, y'all face. More defeat. I know it hurts. 20 Twenty on call. Got 20 in my hand. Got 20 judge gay, turn to my bug, got 20 on that a fuck you, that a fuck you, them fuck you over. Take your safe take your keys, take your over. Take the hot, speed off, rolling up life in a taxi cab.
0: Pops on the radar. You dead to me. How you want to play ball? You dead
2: to me. Takes off. dead to me. You dead to me. You dead. We know us on them. You dead. Don't care
0: And joining us now is the one and only millennial homeowner, Monica Date. Hello. Monica, thanks for joining us again. How's it going? Pretty good. Pretty good. 2018
4: has been simultaneously the longest and shortest year of my life, I feel like.
1: Oh my God, I feel that so hard.
0: (laughs) Well, let's talk about one of the better parts of this uh, longest and shortest year of all time. Monica, what is your movie uh, that you've chosen to talk about today?
4: Well, I've chosen to take it back to the beginning of the year and talk about Black Panther. Marvel movies are kind of my thing now, so I'm just going to lean into it and talk about Black Panther.
0: We have both seen it, too. So, you know, everybody's well, I, I, I think everybody's seen Black Panther at this point. I mean, everyone should have seen Black Panther by this point. So spoiler warning.
1: Do you want to know the sad thing was that when Tyler told me this was the movie you picked, I literally forgot that it came out this year because it feels like it came out seven years ago. <laughs>
0: It does. Back to 2018 being the longest year of our lives. Don't worry. We'll all get uh, mad about it. It Well, we'll see. Well, maybe it'll get a Best Picture nomination. We'll all remember.
1: Yeah, that'd be be good. Yeah.
4: Well, that's actually a great place to jump off from because it should, at the bare minimum, get an Oscar nod for that costuming. The combination of actual Native elements and then Afrofuturism was just phenomenal. The color palettes, the stories told through everyone's costumes, Um, not just the main characters, but even just like the background characters that get a grand total of four minutes of screen time. You can tell that a lot about who they are just from the visual representation of the costuming that went into this movie. So yeah, if they don't get at minimum a costume nod, then someone at the Oscars done fucked up. (laughs)
1: <laughs> I would not be surprised if they did fuck up, but I hope that they don't. Would you say that this has fueled your like personal creative cosplaying endeavors for the next few years? A little bit,
4: yes. It's gotten me to branch out significantly. And honestly, it's even less fueled my costuming desires and more fueled my like daily wear desires. I've gotten to the point where I'm making. Regular clothes that I wear to like work and whatnot now.
1: Yes, that's so cool.
4: Mostly because I want to be Janelle Monet, who surprisingly wasn't in this
0: film. It's really the only negative point I have against the movie. It's just it didn't have Janelle Monet in it. Yeah. Though I don't see why not. She is uh, an actress from Oscar nominated films. It's uh, in the sequel, you know, she's got up here at yeah, some point. That's a hope. Black Panther 2 is going to have Janelle Monet.
1: That would be. Amazing. Someone quick, someone
0: tweeted her. Um, Definitely. I need to watch it again because I haven't seen it again since it was in theaters, but I just, it's on Netflix
4: right now.
0: That's true. Anybody can and should watch it again. It was also one of the best
4: theater experiences I've had in a minute since, and don't judge me for this. It was one of the best theater experiences I've had since magic Mike XXL. (laughs) I would never uh, judge you for that. No. (laughs) because walking into that theater, like got tickets last minute. And I woke my partner up because we agreed we were going to go to Black Panther. And the only time we could find tickets was at 10 a.m. on a Sunday morning. (laughs) So he's like, I, I got like three hours of sleep and it's like, it doesn't matter. You bartender man get in the car. We're going to see Black Panther. And we got there and I live in Detroit, and so I don't want to lean too hard onto stereotypes. Um, but it was very obvious who had just come from the early service of church <laughs> so they could go see Black Panther.
1: That's amazing. <laughs> I think when I saw it, was like one of the first movies that I saw with Movie Pass, And we did show up in the morning, but the there was like one seat left in the entire theater. So we ended up just buying afternoon tickets instead and coming back later. So I did not have the same experience.
4: (laughs) Scott was one of two white people in the entire room.
1: Beautiful. I mean, I saw it in Ann Arbor, so like slightly different demographic, but like still very much like represented.
4: (laughs) So I'm trying to be spoiler free, but let's be real here. It's a great movie. Everyone needs to see it. it. It not only is it a good action movie with, high comedic points and, you know, personal drama and all the things you want in a good movie. But it's also the first mainstream movie to really, I feel, explore Afrofuturism, which is kind of a African or um, Black-centered science fiction genre, um, exploring what would happen if, you know, they were the dominant culture in a... In a uh, science fiction, much the same way that Joss Whedon explored, you know, a fusion of American and Chinese um, futurism in Firefly. So. Black Panther is kind of like the first foray into that, and I'm really hoping it ends up being a trend considering how much money that movie made. So much money. 2nd
0: (laughs) highest grossing Marvel movie. I was going to say, at the very least, it'll uh, start a trend in that there will be at least five more Black Panther movies. Yes.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Plus, like, another (gasps) thing that I really like about Black Panther is that I think it showcases that when you have an actual director in charge of a Marvel movie, instead of kind of just throwing a journeyman guy in to do, I don't know, like, Marvel Universe Part 47, you really get something special. Like, you have that kind of, like, attention to detail and plot and care with the characters as opposed to it just being the same like tired snarky joke 47 times
4: yeah and and also ryan coogler was great in that he he's the kind of director who knows when to get other professionals involved like for example his um again back to the costuming which i'm going to harp on again bringing in the costume designer whose name i'm blanking on right now was you know, honestly, one of the best things he could have done for that movie because he knew that was someone he could and like in interviews and stuff he talks about. He knows this was someone he could just kind of give an idea to and she would run with it and come back with gold, basically.
0: Ruth E. Carter. Yes. And then and assembling a cast of like our greatest actors and uh, getting Kendrick Lamar to do the music who then brought in a bunch of other really talented people. Uh, just I gotta be like the most talented Marvel movie there's ever been considering who all was on board. Yes,
4: Yes. no, like the phone tree of that movie's talent pool must be amazing.
0: Not since uh, the early Marvel movies introduced us to every single Chris (laughs) has such an influx of talent happened in the Marvel Cinematic Universe.
1: And I would say this is possibly greater than having every Chris in a movie. That's true. To be honest, like it is true. It's just a good movie. I don't know. (laughs) My only, my literal only gripe with it is that I don't think the villain is actually a villain, so that like makes it hard to contend with in the final act. You know what? No,
4: Killmonger. Killmonger had some points, but Nakia was right. That is my. That's how I will always go with that movie because they had the same argument. Just one came at it from a point of conquest, and the other came at it from a point of aid.
1: Fair, and I think, Mm -hmm. yeah the best way to interpret it
4: (laughs) yes and for a moment then on that killmonger thing can we talk about can can we just get some of the crazy marvel fangirls to finally stand michael b jordan as our problematic marvel boyfriend don't get me wrong i still think tom hiddleston's adorable and a great loki but let's be real
1: (laughs) there's it's not even a competition (laughs) like if you're being honest with yourself (laughs) like i don't know even thinking about like having them in the same room together it's like having what's even a proper metaphor for this like the the moon and the sun trying to light up a room i guess yeah i was thinking more like the like i don't know the most amazing like majestic horse and then like a slithery little weasel in the same room (laughs) I i feel like they both have their own individual like Aspects that are good, but if you put a slithery weasel next to a majestic, beautiful horse, the horse is going to win. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. <laughs> that will go down in podcast history as the greatest. Metaphor of all time. Thank you, Tyler. <laughs> <didn't
4: say> <laughs> when you have Tom Hiddleston fangirls beating down your door, and
0: demanding your blood, <laughs> it'll be for this moment. Now the Tom. Hiddleston fangirls had their time. It's been a decade. Yeah, I'm you like, know,
1: one, two things. Tumblr was delisted from the app store. So, do they? Can they even talk anymore? And yeah. two, I, his reputation's kind of been in the garbage ever since his like world tour with Taylor Swift of ridiculousness. So, they we're just. Well, having a good time it's, I don't see what the big deal is it's been a minute since I've seen like a legit Tom Hiddleston fangirl that's true that's true so I think I, guess I think hes one out
0: for Tom Hiddleston. yeah he's
1: been dethroned and his rightful usurper should be Michael B Jordan
4: I agree with that completely <laughs> okay I guess um well, it's speaking of people of I love top top. who were also not in Black Panther Tessa Thompson <laughs> insane who we should all love And, you know, pray for her return as Valkyrie sooner rather than later. Amen.
1: We should get in the Black Panther sequel. Valkyrie shows up for no reason and makes out with Janelle Monae's character, whoever that is, because she'll definitely be in it. Yes.
0: That's what I want. (laughs) Okay. We've got it figured out then. Uh, We basically know the plot to Black (laughs) uh, Panther.
1: Marvel, call me. I will license that idea for $1 (laughs) million.
4: (laughs) they have plenty of money so this should be fine totally
0: all right so we're (laughs) reaching the 10 minute mark uh do we have final points on black panther i mean it's like a movie we could talk about
4: watch it on netflix also go see sorry to bother you which just came out on dvd can't talk about it because i don't have time but it's amazing and it's
0: the most weirded twisted science fiction movie you'd ever see and it's great it is impossible to talk about that movie for anything less than like uh 2 hours probably longer than the movie itself.
1: We could do a full episode yeah, on that sometime much. if you
0: wanted to. It is streaming on Hulu.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's wow. also on Hulu. So
0: Ooh,
4: excellent. I need uh yeah, that's one I need to get people to watch. More. Yes.
0: It, that movie is that I don't know that I've seen many things quite like that movie. It's great. It's
4: completely unique. And if I, I if we don't say. cut this off now, I'm gonna end up talking say. about it because
0: <laughs> Kayla hasn't seen. I it haven't yet. seen it yet. And, like so I don't I'm think like, she don't, knows either.
1: I don't. I do, but I don't. And I'm really <laughs> excited. I missed it while I was in theaters because it was like every the like the time that it was in theaters here was the time when I was like working a billion hours every week, and so yeah, I gotta fix that. Oh, I drove out to Ann Arbor to see it with a friend. Of course. Yeah.
4: my no spoilers is it's very obvious like a first directorial like outing like so there's some there's some quirks and whatnot that are very obvious of like inexperience but it works in the movie's favor and it's got tessa thompson so tying it all together
0: (laughs) excellent well thank you for joining us again monica and hopefully we'll talk again soon I ain't
2: do yet, get shit poppin' like Percocet Got picked up, man, ain't servants yet yeah. Two-stepping like the boss, this person check Imagine this him as hand grenade Asphalt, sheetrock,
0: serenade Jack and coke is a marinade But we sober up quick at the barricades Joint in my mouth, pacify Everything out their mouth is pacified. I'm not preaching, ask why The green one, the red one, master why Capito, camouflage with fashion passing in the shellcove on the assassin Dash security at mall expansion Whatever I wear, no know I'm here to be clashed Oh yeah! Alright!
1: With us now is Raúl Mendoza, creator of the Nerdcore Podcast Network. I had the distinct pleasure of being on Raúl's Halloween episode for It Follows earlier this year, so we are super happy to have him on our podcast finally. Uh, Raúl, thank you so much for joining us.
2: Oh, thank you, thank you for having me.
1: Let us what tell us what your top movie of the year is.
2: My top movie of the year is uh, Roma, uh, directed, written, and directed by uh, Alfonso Cuarón.
1: We love him on this show.
0: <laughs> Tyler, you had a point. Well, no, I was just going to say, uh, we haven't seen it yet, unfortunately, though we're hoping to this week because we get a uh, one week, a one week run of the of Roma in one of our theaters started with overall points. Like, what is the thing that made you love Roma so much? Why is it the one you picked?
2: Oh, man, it's a lot of things. I mean, the film itself is very, um, um and it sucks because it's usually I have a clear cut conscience of of the films that I watch. But when it's something that impacts me on this level, I'm completely lost because I'm you're literally sitting and watching the life of this woman um, who is lower class indigenous woman in Mexico, which is already interesting as hell to watch. But she takes care of this family that's middle class during a very, very distinct uh, period in Mexican history. Um, and it's one it's something very interesting in that sense because you see not just the whole uh, difference in social classes in the lower and the middle class but you also see the distinctions between uh, a, a woman living in an indigenous woman compared to a white passing woman in Mexico and it's 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 really beautiful you're sent through this journey where it's completely based on what you're perceiving on screen it's not a film that is meant for escapism which I've seen a lot of people calling it overrated because they can't find something to relate to and I say that Cuaron's films are not like that uh, Cuaron del Toro and Iñarito their films are not like that you're just watching something on screen go by especially this one that is so near and dear to Cuaron's heart because it's actually loosely based on this on his upbringing in Mexico and he had a and he said that a lot of the experiences you see on the on the film are kind of the things that the housekeeper that he had growing up went through
1: Gotcha. And yeah, we were talking about this a little bit on our first reformed segment about, you know, difficult films that kind of speak to a lot of the anxieties and just general. Like, I mean, the world is terrible right now. We can all agree on that, I think. And we have studios churning out so many movies that are, you know, pure escapism, comic book movies. Um, I don't know, comedies, like, like, you know, stuff that's easy to digest. And I think it's such a shame that we have so many people who are, who look at a film that's slightly difficult or challenges something about their worldview and immediately decide that it must be overrated Award spotter. So that frustration is, I feel that I, I a lot. Hate that.
2: I hate that so much. It's, it, not only is it so pretentious, but it's, you know, cinema at its purest form is supposed to be this very, um, inclusive look into different forms of life. And it is so interesting that you're seeing the life of an indigenous woman. I mean, this woman in this, in this, in this, in this, uh, in this picture, she speaks, uh, mex, um, mextal, mex, mextal. It's a very indigenous language, uh, from different, uh, it's not Nahual and it's not Otomi, but it's a very different, um, it's a very different um language and she even speaks it on screen so you just see that that is so crazy important it's a lot of the the things that go on in Mexico and I and I know you know the world is fucked as well as it is and you know it's 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 a really bad world that we live in but a lot of the problems that um that persist in Mexico is this idea of wanting to show the European side and not the and and not the uh ind- the indigenous side. I feel like what that's what the film persists in it, and it keeps showing that aspect. And it shows that 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 um, this indigenous woman did something so much for this family.
1: I feel like Koran is also a really great filmmaker to tackle that. I feel like his films have such scope all of the time. Even so, like his last film is literally about. Speech. Which is the largest and most terrifying thing. And I think it's amazing that he can bring that same kind of uh, focus and like universal, I don't know, cosmic energy to a story that like many people would consider, you know, like smaller, like a totally different kind of thing than that.
2: Have you watched uh, Itumama Tambien?
1: Not in a long time. I saw it when I was in high school when I was quote unquote becoming a film person. So it's been a minute, but I remember really liking
2: it. I recommend that one a lot. Uh, that one, Solo con tu pareja, uh, Children of Men. Children of Men is one of my favorites of all time. God, that movie is amazing. Um uh, también is a great story about uh, not just sexuality, but it's about finding yourself and youth, especially in Mexico. Um, also Cuaron doesn't shy away from pointing out the ugliness of Mexico at this time. Uh, one one part that really uh, stood out to me when I was watching Roma was the depictions of the of La Matanza. Basically, the the students were protesting in 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 Mexico City and the government didn't it would look it would look bad for the government to kill its own citizens so they would be hiring um these other people usually lower class people who needed the money to go out there and open uh open fire on on the students who were protesting that is so sad
1: <laughs> I think yeah and i think that's something probably that uh our, our listeners i would assume probably don't know a lot about so that's That's the other amazing thing about film is when you get these like entire histories and perspectives that you just never heard about or learned about.
2: Well, there's stories that that, there's stories that don't want to be told. And at one point I see why you don't want to tell them, but it's also very uh, important for my people's history to be told. And especially that's something very ugly to look back on. And it's something very depressing to think about that a government ordered. Uh, paid and ordered uh, citizens to open fire on themselves. And Cuaron doesn't shy away from that. He he completely pu- puts it in uh, in front of the screen. And it's like, you're going to watch this and you're going to probably see for the first time what happened. But this is what I grew up through. And some of this stuff still pers- persists on the, in the, this day and age. And I mean, it's even though it's presented beautifully with the cinematography all done by Cuaron, Cuaron uh shot this movie as well. Um, but. It's just a very sad thing to see again.
0: I guess like I was going to come in with a positive point after that very sad thing, but I'm glad that, uh, was able to take the success he's had with other, like more traditional ass ish blockbusters. And now is able to use some of that cachet to tell, uh, stories that are maybe more near and dear to his heart than say, you know, someone being lost in space. And granted, there's the, uh, netflix caveat as well and but hopefully this is not like the only time hopefully he is able to continue making stories that are important to him personally and with like a budget and on many screens of people will be able to see uh like it's kind of a bummer that the theatrical release for Roma is so limited but I am glad that at least like if Netflix promotes it you know on its actual platform a lot of people will be able, a lot more people will be able to see this movie than they might be able to otherwise.
2: I'm really happy that it's you know even though it's limited it is playing in Galitza's Aparicio's um, little little small town in the cinema over there so you know that small town probably a, a big population of it is uh, Mextal uh probably is going to be able to go watch it and see um uh, a woman who was just a teacher and this was the first time she acted in a movie ever and she was directed by one of the greatest filmmakers to me and they're going to be able to see that on screen and see somebody who looks just like them on the screen by the way if anybody who is watching this says oh i'll just watch it on netflix watch it in theaters it is a completely different uh experience it's i i cried at least five times yeah, you know, I'm a crybaby. You know, sometimes I most movies I find something to cry about, but this one it was it was like it's a it's a heavy hitter. I, I want to watch it again. I actually want them to release it on Blu-ray because I really want this on my in my collection because I want to watch this over and over again. And I know people are going to be like, "Dude, how do you watch depressing movies over and over again?" But it's just it's that beautiful and it's that great. And oh uh, man, Quaron, I think and it's gonna be ballsy for me to say this, but I think Cuaron does it again this year. Uh, I think he takes the Oscar for director.
1: I hope so. I think that would be like, one, amazing for him and also amazing for the people who can get movies on Netflix, but maybe not at the studio, because I think that while Netflix has its own problems, they really have a chance to kind of make these kinds of movies that are for people who aren't necessarily like, according to Hollywood, profitable audiences. But like- they still deserve to have movies and they still deserve to have like this kind of representation on screen. So if they're going to if he's going to do it and he's going to win the Oscar, then that means that Netflix is here to stay. And they're like a buying power in this industry and that the stories that they're putting out are powerful forces to reckon with. And that's something that is so exciting to me.
2: Yeah, I I think it would be a big sign to, um, to what I mean, what the whole Latino community have been going through this year um big uh, it's been big it's been a big uh, year for us that we've been kind of going through it with all this stuff that's been going on and all these things that they've been saying against us and just the idea of what the administration has been pointing out against us i feel like alfonso the first mexican to ever win a uh, best director uh oscar to do it again and, and and win it even though you know i would say to be the first mexican to win it two times i'd be wrong because uh Iñarito wanted back to back, ah. but Birdman and Revenant. So good, yeah, yeah. Uh, I was, I'm sorry, I was gonna say that everybody's banking on Bradley Cooper to do it for a Star is Born, but I'm, I'm, I'm sticking with it. I think, I think, Cuaron takes it.
1: Yeah, I mean, just Bradley Cooper is fine, <laughs> but I think since we have five other versions of a Star is Born, I'm all set on that.
2: There is only one other version of Roma, and it's Federico Fellini's Roma, and. I, the the whole juxtaposition between those two films, it is beautiful to see. For anybody who actually is a fan of Fellini, um, I, I hope Fellini to be one of the greatest directors of all time as well. Um, the the fact that when people are calling this movie overrated, they make it seem like it's been done before, and this movie has never been done before, other than in the 70s with uh, Roma, Fellini's Roma.
1: Very cool. I did not know that. Raul, thank you so much for joining and for bringing that, like, amazing perspective on this movie that we are both dying to see.
2: It's perfect. it's a, it's a beautiful heartbreaking story and I know that that's so weird to combine those two words. It's about love, it's about loss. it's about uh, it's about politics. it's it's about family. it's about it's literally just about family and how close and, and I think the hidden message as well I think it is the importance of women in our lives as fa- because as as Mexicans growing up, "mamas," they're, they're the most important thing, our mothers, and when we don't have a mother, we have a motherly figure, and that's what these housekeepers are to us. And I think that that's the, one of the things that Ecuadador that wanted to highlight, the importance of women in our lives, and it's, it's but down to it, it's, it's a movie about family and, and love and, and being able to uh, being able to be persistent and go through life's sad obstacles.
0: Thank you so much for sharing that with us, Raul. And I definitely can't wait to see the movie. So you, as we said, are the creator of the uh, Nerdcore Podcast Network. Where can people find your work? Like a website, whatever, the name of the various podcasts. Like what's the best place for people to find you?
2: We, You can find the Nerdcore Podcast feed on all podcast platforms like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, whatever you guys want, we're on there. Or if you want to find where it lives the first, where where it goes first, it's anchor.fm slash the nerdcore. I also do, I'm also a filmmaker. Uh, You guys can just search me up on YouTube, Raul Alejandro Mendoza, and you'll find me there. I've done a documentary about about immigration and uh, my family. And I've also done a new one that's a like crime thriller. Awesome.
1: Well, thank you so much for joining us and we will hopefully have you on again in the future for a full episode because we have to do our amazing crossover. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah, so we will talk to you later. Thank you so much.
0: With me now, as in the past ah, two, three years, perennial appearance, our friend Pat Haynes. Pat, how's it going?
5: I am ready to let the old ways die, or whatever the (laughs) lyric to that song is.
0: You know what? This won't be complete without many memes or puns, because, I mean, we already know what your 2018 movie is, but why don't you go ahead and introduce it?
5: If my fumbled uh, introduction wasn't enough, uh, the movie that I'm talking about is a star is born.
0: Fantastic. Uh, I have not seen this mo- movie. Uh, Kayla has seen this movie and liked it, but unfortunately is uh, perishing due to corporate <laughs> responsibilities or something. Uh, so truly
5: incredible. Star is born. With the amount of movies that you see that you haven't seen this movie,
0: <laughs> <laughs> you know, sometimes it's hard to get to the theater and I had to watch two Okay, Christmas anthologies over the past two days. So priorities, uh, ex- of course, yes. Um, Pat, everybody except me has seen and memed "A Star Is Born," but why don't you tell us, like, why did you pick this movie as your your uh, one of the ones you really liked this year that you loved?
5: Well, I it was my favorite movie of the year, and I would go as far to say that it was my favorite movie of the last handful of years, which. If I would have told myself that before the movie came out, it would have sounded ridiculous. Because I think I felt the same way as a lot of people on the internet when the trailer was out, that uh, there was a pretty high likelihood of this being one of like the worst movies of all time. <laughs> I would have been more confident before the movie came out that it would have been nominated for a bunch of Razzies than for the Oscars. <laughs> or I, mean, I guess those haven't been announced yet, but... It seems pretty likely that it'll be a best picture nominee or something.
0: That, I mean, it seems to be possibly one of the favorites according to you know what the prognosticators who know stuff say. Which I mean is also wild to me. It's like the Bradley Cooper directing debut passion project in which he himself appears as a country singer. I don't. I, I, I don't know. Honestly, the Lady Gaga part was like the more dependable part of it.
5: But so it's like, like a, a country a- singer mixed with like. Trying to be Eddie Vedder mixed with like trying to sound like Sam Elliott. <laughs> it's, yeah, I've heard it, these it things. Really and, should the, have been terrible.
0: and everything I've heard, it just continues to convince me that it should be terrible, but apparently, it's not. Uh, it's So incredible. <laughs> I mean, we became friends because I can't remember how we became friends, but it all started with like a music website way back when in some way or another. (laughs) And uh, I'm guessing the the music (laughs) element of this is like a big part of why this movie appeals so much to you.
5: See, you would think that, but I truly my body kind of locks up whenever I don't want to sound super corny saying this, but I have a like physical aversion to actors singing for the most part (laughs) just like ptsd flashbacks of russell crowe's from the trailer of uh les mis and stuff it it really viscerally upsets me (laughs) but for whatever reason this one really clicked and you could argue that it's because of the style of music that they're singing and i mean lady gaga is a tremendous singer so it kind of makes it a lot easier than say russell crowe or something like that well she's a little uh, more qualified Uh, just a little bit more (laughs) it really just clicked with me and i mean the music is a big part of that i i didn't listen to a ton of new music this year but the new music that i did listen to a lot of the songs on the soundtrack for this are up there for some of my favorite songs of the year which to say from like a music soundtrack to me at least would have been boggling in years past but i also genuinely think it's like he had no right to direct a movie this well. (laughs) It's especially like for his first movie, this is truly like the, some of the stuff that he does, like you could say is a little corny, like the intro scene where he's performing on stage and it's like the most lens flare use since like the JJ Abrams star Wars movie is a little intense, but uh, (laughs) I completely was a sucker for all that stuff all of the performance scenes, both with him and with Lady Gaga and them together. The only thing I can compare it to is like seeing, a, for me at least, was seeing a horror movie where I was like on the edge of my seat the whole time. I thought it was really fu- I, I really loved the cinematography in the movie. And it was done by a guy named Matthew Libetique. But uh, I looked it up and I thought it was pretty funny that uh, the other movie that he did the cinema cinematography for that I think came out the same week as The Star Is Born was Venom. So uh, really showing the uh, ability to stretch here. <laughs> and even if the music doesn't do it for you necessarily, and there's a pretty strong argument to be made against what Bradley, and a lot of people have made it much better than I can, but the kind of view that Bradley Cooper takes against pop music in the movie is not necessarily the best, especially when you have someone like Lady Gaga, who is one of the world's biggest pop stars playing the role. A lot of the music was written by Lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper themselves. And I think they brought on for Shallow, like Mark Ronson, and then for a bunch of the other songs, uh, Lucas Nelson, uh, Willie Nelson's son. And then uh, maybe it's time one of like the acoustic songs that Bradley Cooper does is written by uh, Jason Isbell. I might be wrong, but I think those are all the people that wrote the songs of the movie. Really, for me, it was just the acting. I wouldn't be surprised or like appalled if Bradley Cooper, Lady Gaga, and Sam Elliott... Well, I guess I'd be a little surprised after the Globe nominations of Sam Elliott won, but I think he is deserving. He is probably the best acting part of the movie, I think. I really wanted to go into the movie and come out of it like everyone else and just meme the shit out of the movie because the trailer was ridiculous and it still is ridiculous, but I totally fell like victim to the, the charm of the movie, I guess.
0: And it sounds I mean, it sounds like I probably will too. I mean, apparently nobody's <laughs> been able to totally resist the whole thing. I've heard like some varying opinions, but it, it sounds like it's yeah, like certainly accomplished like- in many ways. Like I like, and Lady Gaga singing is, I mean, if there's more to it than that, then I'm really in.
5: Right, right. From my opinion, I genuinely enjoyed the whole movie. But from what I've been seeing a lot from like certain people writing and stuff and podcasts and stuff is that the consensus seems to be that the first hour to an hour and a half of the movie is pretty, you can put it up there with a lot of the other best movies of the year and stuff and of the last couple of years but that it kind of flounders a bit in the last hour. I found a lot of the last hour to be pretty affecting, but that seems to be the consensus that I've seen from a lot of people.
0: Excellent. Well, Pat, thank you for telling uh, evangelizing to me personally, uh, of course, about <laughs> the value of this movie and how I totally missed out by not going to see it. Is there like a final point or summary that you'd like to say about A Star is Born before we go?
5: Uh, don't drink don't <laughs> if you if you see the movie you'll uh you'll see the perils of alcoholism <laughs> Vice is bad, okay all right <laughs> all right it's legitimately one of my favorite movies of for quite some time now I think the music's great, I think the direction is great, and I think the acting is great and uh you should go see it if you haven't already, which I think most people listening to this probably have. It seems like Tyler is the only person in America that hasn't seen it.
0: Oh, you know, me always trying to always trying to be a contrarian. I am. Thanks as always, Pat, for joining us. and We look forward to having you on yeah, again having- in the new year.
1: now is past, present, and future superstar guest, Charlie, who is also a writer for Much Ado About Cinema. Charlie, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Tell us about the movie that you are bringing to us as your top movie of 2018.
3: Okay, so I chose Wildlife because a big thing, if you know anything about me, is that I would die for Paul Dano. I would (laughs) lay down my entire life for him. And this is his directorial debut. And when it was announced, I think... It was, like, my most anticipated movie of the year, and I was just very excited because he's worked with so many amazing people, like Paul Thomas Anderson and Dan Lee Lewis and all this stuff. So I knew he had thing to bring to it, and um, I was right. It was incredible. <laughs> he had the pedigree and yeah. it paid
0: off. Good call by me on that one. Yeah.
3: Yeah, he, exa- yes, thank you. <laughs> You're welcome, Paul. I had faith in you the whole time. <laughs> yeah, it was co-written by him and his longtime girlfriend Zoe Kazan. So a power couple. I just gotta be, be like
1: my most favorite power couple actually. <laughs> so okay let me I guess my first question is before you just like talk about it in general like as a Paul Dano super fan. Yeah. What were your thoughts when this was announced? Like your initial reaction? Was it just like um, scream? Yeah yeah I was about to say
3: I screamed. <laughs> I was like oh my god. I kind of expected him to be in it actually but I'm a little bit Glad that he's not in it because I think he understands that he wanted to be on that side of the camera. Forgot the word camera for a second there. (laughs) Yeah, I was really excited. I didn't know very much about it at all. I think the first thing that came out was just the title and the fact that it was based off a book that I'd never read. (laughs) So I was like, okay. And then I think the next thing that came out was that Jake Gyllenhaal was going to be in it because they're like BFFs. And I was like, okay. Hell yeah. It's like such a superstar cast. Well, actually, I mean, it's not really because there's only, like, five people are in I it. I mean,
0: you got Jake Hall and Carey Mulligan. Who else do you that, need? <laughs> that's all the superstars you need, yeah. Yeah. But you can you tell us a little bit about what the movie is about?
3: Yes. Okay, so it's... You cannot spoil this movie. I don't think so. It's such, like... <laughs> it's a very slow burn, so it's kind of an experience. Because the main plot is basically just, like... It's from the perspective of m- Carey Mulligan and Jake Gyllenhaal's son, who's, like, in high school, I think... And their marriage is starting to fall apart. And so Jake Gyllenhaal goes off to like fight fires in Montana because he's like, I don't want to, I want to go out and do something. And also he doesn't want to be stuck in a home. So he like leaves and it's kind of just this kid watching as his mom kind of unravels and tries to deal with this life as her marriage falls apart, but also at the same time tries to like take
0: care of her son.
3: very upbeat (laughs) (laughs) okay we've talked about a lot of
1: like really sad movies this year
0: we love moods in this in this house this is a house of moods and well, it's kind of
1: like the theme we've it's come up on a couple of different segments now where it's like it's just kind of a sign of the times that we're in where everything sucks and you just have movies that kind of reflect that back at you and it's Almost relieving to have that, though, (laughs) because it kind of makes you feel less crazy as you go through
3: it. Yeah, I remember Paul Dano actually said something about how he wanted to make like some sort of trilogy of just like families falling apart, like of dysfunctional families. Paul, are you okay? (laughs) Can we help you? All I got to say is uh, Greta Gerwig and your Sacramento trilogy, watch out.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god, what if Paul Dano and Greta Gerwig did a movie together, though? That feels like so natural that I can't believe it hasn't happened already. I would, yeah, because I'm just like thinking... a 24
0: would give so much money for them. <laughs> yeah, that? I'm just like
1: thinking about like their choices as actors and lives and all of that stuff. I just feel like they would very much make a good mid 20s drama something. Out Great of it. first
0: detor- directorial work where neither of them are in front of the camera; they're behind the camera. Yeah, have, like, young stars like really. Yeah. Them. Uh, okay. So besides the. The Paul Dano of it all, though. Like, so, like, what <laughs> are like some of the things that really struck you about this movie? Like, what, like, was it like certain performances or moods? Or-
3: um. Okay. So this will be the last time. I no, it won't be the last time I bring up Paul Dano. But in sense of his directing, I think it was really interesting. Just the fact that this is his directorial debut, and it's like set in Montana. And I think there's a lot of in movies people will be like, "Oh, we're in this big landscape. We're shooting on location, so we need to like." have sweeping landscapes and like focus on all this background stuff but then it's like who really cares i don't care i want to look at the characters but paul dano manages to make the setting its own character and i think as jake gyllenhaal and carrie mulligan begin to like split apart you see this kind of chasm in the location in the backdrop of like these trees that are setting on fire and these big mountains that are separating them i think it's like one of the most gorgeous movies i've seen all year
0: it sounds like he like, really nails the metaphor that's behind the story. Like, yeah. is it really able to translate it? Which sounds really, like, especially thinking that it's based on a book, I'm like, oh, that usually doesn't go well. Right? I
3: think maybe it, maybe it helped, I think, because it was such an, I don't want to say it was an old book, but something about it being set in the 1950s mm-hmm. and sort of, it nails the environment of that so well. It didn't feel like, oh, this is a movie that came out in 2018, but it's about the 1950s. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, this is a movie about kind of just this – it's like a time capsule, and it was oh, it was so gorgeous.
1: And I think that's good, too, because it would be really easy to be really ham-fisted about that and to be like, see, the yeah. mountains and the fire. <laughs> right, exactly. the marriage. Yeah, like, it could all that so stuff. bad.
3: There's also, I think – I only found about this after the fact, but there's a scene where, like, Carrie Mulligan takes her son up to, like, the mountains, and she's like, look at all these trees being burned. And it's, like, CGI. It does not look CGI. It's, like, such a subtle thing where it's, like, nobody expects this movie to have really incredible CGI because it's not, like some big action movie but it was like the most subtle gorgeous
1: it kind of reminds me of Brokeback Mountain with the sheep and the composite mountain it's like that's like the main (laughs) thing that comes to my mind when I think of unexpected but subtle CGI and Jake Gyllenhaal and Jake Gyllenhaal yeah okay I was like why are these two things connected in my head mountain yeah maybe that's what he went to do like he
3: was like I'm gonna go fight fires but really he went to go fall in love with Heath Ledger
0: you know how like, uh, Adam Sandler combines movie making with vacations by going to like, Hawaii and oh, making a yeah. dumb comedy? Maybe Jake Gyllenhaal just likes going back to nature, and he, that's how he takes his he's vacations like, yeah, buddy, while making movies.
3: I'll join this movie if I get to go out into the mountains. <laughs>
0: just get away from it all for a
1: while, you know? Yeah. The rumor was always that he's gay, but it's literally just that he loves it. <laughs> oh my gosh.
0: The true secret, the most terrible one of all, he's an outdoorsman.
1: I can't believe it.
0: Oh, that, uh, that is tremendous i cannot wait to see that for myself it seems likely that it's going to be a movie that's overlooked by like most big awards anyways like I, like in very much in the conversation but not quite getting there but
3: yeah i think it came out i don't know it made its way through the festival circuit and i think that is where it was really big and then it just kind of disappeared i think it is because it's so subtle and like Slow and just like Carrie Mulligan's performance is one of the most incredible of the year, and she's probably not gonna get like any credit
1: for it. It's so, the whole Oscar conversation is so frustrating because I feel like it happens every year where everybody just decides collectively at one point what the four Oscar movies right. are. Yeah. And it's just like, what, like we're not giving all of these other movies a chance. There are so many good movies that are out and I'm so nervous for the Oscars because like the SAG nominations were a dumpster fire. The Golden Globes one. Mm, and the not Golden great Globes, Yeah, the, only, okay. the, the Golden
0: Globes are supposed to be messy and fun. Right? I
1: guess. Uh, to say a very heterosexual sexual thing katrina Balfa is nominated for outlander and i just really want her to win because she gets nominated every year and never wins because of fucking elizabeth moss doing oh, handmade yeah. sales so i'm just like just let her have it elizabeth mm-hmm. moss has had her time that's the only thing i want out of the golden gloves this year Did is she katrina win Balfa? every year she won the past two years i think i can't remember she definitely won at least once but anyway that's my <laughs> rando Outlander plug <Outlander laughs> on this segment.
0: Charlie, do you have any final thoughts or like me like uh, um, summaries?
3: Yes, I want to talk. I don't feel like I didn't talk about Carrie Mulligan's performance enough, so I want to mention that it is amazing. And I I remember at some point there was some sort of Q and A where someone asked Carrie Mulligan about her character and how her character was so unlikable, mm-hmm. and yeah, she mentioned like you know I think. We need to see women being messy and living their lives and having, like, actual things happen to them. And she does such a good job of humanizing a character who, like, does some pretty not great things. And she's messy and she doesn't treat her kid well all the time. But she's not, like, abusive. It's just so obvious that she's going through all this stuff. And it allows... Paul Dana allows her... <laughs> no, you know what? What am I saying? She does it. Paul Dana doesn't allow her to do it. But he follows her... Yeah, he follows her through this metamorphosis of her character and just lets her be a human being, which I think is so rare, especially when you're talking about, like, a 1950s period drama where, like, oh, it's the housewife, blah, 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 Mm -hmm. This is obviously such a, like, critique of that kind of lifestyle, and so I'm glad that he had some sense.
1: Yeah. (laughs) I mean, women are so often, it's either, like, they're empowered and strong and invincible or, like literally like broken and murdered right. so there's just I, yeah i agree and i'm happy that maybe we are finally going to start <laughs> being able to have these kinds of roles for women where it's like actually interesting and not just like one of these very two
3: specific things yeah like women can be nice and also shitty at the same time well and it's like what
1: it boils down to is that for the most part women exist as like fantasy figures right, for men exactly. regardless yeah. of which arch- like archetype they're portraying it's mostly about a male writer or director's fantasy and this is like a really good example of like a male director just being like yeah this is what we're gonna do and carrie Mulligan knocking it out of the park yeah
0: so. well excellent charlie thank you for joining us again in the past present and future as, as <laughs> you're <always>. welcome <laughs> where can people find your work on the internet
3: okay so i write for what to do about cinema i'm kind of a new staff writer so it's very fun there is also, I'm not in this as often, but there isn't much ado about cinema podcasts that you should definitely check out. Another person named Charlie, who is not me, is the lead host, <laughs> but I'll probably be on it at some point, so you should definitely check it out.
4: I said it